Hello and welcome to Solving the Equation of Sales podcast with me, Tim Gibbons. This podcast is a mixture of chat, ideas and training that can help you to improve your sales performance, close more deals and earn more money for you and your company. The Equation of Sales states that trust times needs times value equals successful selling. In other words, we need to establish trust with our customer, understand their needs and then demonstrate the value of our product to satisfy those needs. If we do all of that, then we're going to be more successful in our sales activity. This month, we're looking at value, and in particular, selling the value of your product. I'll be chatting with my guest, Ian Setterfield, from a company called Light. No matter what you are buying, you have to believe that you're going to get value from it. If you have a meal in a restaurant, there are two levels of value that you can receive. First, The simple act of eating provides you with sustenance and nourishment to keep going for the next few hours. However, any food can do this. The real value in a meal out is in the experience, which can include the taste of the food, the ambience of the restaurant, the service, the company, etc. All of this is difficult to put a price on and therefore equally difficult to value. Two different people can easily value the same experience quite differently. In any business scenario, there's the same requirement to understand the value of any deal. This is easy if it's a case of buying and selling shares. If you make more money than you spend, it's good value. However, when buying a new laptop for an existing employee, it's more difficult to define the value. Are they that much more productive with the new laptop? Can they do things that they could not do beforehand? For the salesperson, Defining the value of a potential sale to a customer can be difficult. They must think like the customer, understand the customer's exact needs, and be able to translate their product's features into value for the customer. However, it's crucial to being able to close the deal. Each month, I interview another experienced salesperson, and everyone gets asked the same set of questions. So it only seems reasonable to me that I also answer these questions. So, over these first six episodes, I'll be answering these questions from my own perspective. The first thing that I remember learning in sales was in my first ever sales call. I started in the job on Monday, and on the Tuesday was out meeting clients with the more experienced salesperson who I was working with. We met with a client and had a long conversation, during which I made a comment, and I can't remember whether it was about religion or politics or whatever, but when we left the meeting, the person that I was working with advised me never to talk about religion or politics in a sales meeting. Both subjects can be emotive, and you've got no way of knowing what your client thinks about either. I think that advice is still as relevant today as it was 26 years ago. Talk about your client, what they're interested in, and steer clear of subjects that might be polarising. Remember that you're trying to build trust with your client, and so need to avoid potentially annoying them with your views.
Whenever you talk about your product, you always have to remember that your customer is not buying the product, they are buying what it does for them. If all you ever do is talk about your product and its features, your customer will not understand why they should buy it. You need to translate those features into benefits to the client. Benefits can usually be expressed as saving time or saving money. The value of the product is then a quantification of that benefit. Value actually has very little to do with price. A corkscrew is much less expensive than the bottles of wine that it will open, but it's pretty crucial to the enjoyment of the wine, as anyone who's tried to want to cork a bottle without a corkscrew will tell you. When you focus on the value gained as a result of the purchase, you get your client thinking less about the cost. Cost becomes much less important. If the return on your investment is sufficiently large, the cost is fairly irrelevant unless you simply cannot get access to that amount of money. If you cannot demonstrate value, then you're going to struggle. It does not mean that you cannot sell, but it will be much more difficult. I have known companies who buy solutions simply because they believe that they will be useful to them at some stage, not necessarily now. I have known companies buy solutions because the managing director wanted them, regardless of how valuable they are. However, these are the exceptions, and you cannot build a career on exceptions. If you want to be successful, you have to focus on the customers for whom you can provide value and preferably measurable value. So my guest this month is Ian Setterfield of Light. Ian, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Tim. Good to be here. Great. Thanks for joining us. So, Ian, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your company? So my name is Ian Setterfield. I, I work for Light, and the position I've got is kind of a sales business development. We're a startup. Uh, we've come out of BP, and we focus a lot on sensor data, specifically fiber data, and giving people insight. So... We're a software company. We don't deal with the hardware. We take that data. We take it into the cloud. We do analytics. We do data science to solve customers' problems, which is an ideal position to be in. And, and my role at the moment is looking for new industries, talking with new customers, but also managing some of the accounts that Light has as well. You know, when you're a startup, you have to do a little bit of everything. So I guess we're a startup mind, but, you know, we, we, we're scaling now. We've gone from 20 people a year and a half ago to 70 people now. So we're moving out from that startup position, I guess. Okay. So how do people use the data that you collect then? So well, how does this the, help them? Yeah. So we're solving very specific problems. We came out of BP, like I said, and they had problems around sanding, around um, understanding what's coming into the well, around um, kind of uh, well integrity and so we started with them problems. The other problem that they had was when you're using fiber data down a hole, you end up with tons and tons of data. We're talking petabytes of data when you, you when you were acquiring sound. So we have some technology that we developed initially on the edge, which manages that without losing really fidelity on the data. So they can be put into the cloud and then we can get them insights and do proper data science once that data signed up. 
And so, yeah, so we started off solving problems like that, but we're building out our problem solving to other issues, to other industries. We started to talk about CCS monitoring. We're talking about moving into the water industry, um, but also developing our platform sort of becomes available, not just for fiber data and not just for our data science, but for other uh, types of sensor data, other industries, and so that other people can bring their kind of data science insights into it as well. Okay, sounds really exciting. I always like it, it when uh, people have new things and are doing. New well, it's brand new to me, Tim, and it's, yeah. it is, you know, as you get, uh, as you've been in the industry quite a long time, it's nice to challenge yourself. You know, I'm a geologist by background, mm -hmm. um, but doing something new like this, which is, you know, more around data and engineering, is. It's very good, very exciting to do. Yeah, great. All right, so tell us about your journey to this point. Did you always want to work in sales? And how come you ended up working there, if not? No, I fell on it by, you know, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd, really. I'm a geologist by background, yeah, so a bit of a tree hugger. You know, I like walking in the hills, and, you know, hence I become a geologist. Um, and so I started off in the industry doing that, you know, on well sites, you know, more than 30 years ago now. Um, and then moved to the Middle East with Schlumberger, uh, but purely on their software division. So combining that geology and software skills. And as you start doing support and then you move into demonstrations and then you owning that kind of that uh, business, you start doing kind of um, technical sales. So and then it was a small jump, I guess, from technical sales into sales. So that's something that happened when I moved back to the UK. I was heading up a technical sales division. Um, you know, software that a lot of oil companies use like Petrel and Eclipse. Um, and then there was an opportunity. And so I, I jumped in with both feet. I went from technical sales to being the sales manager of about 20 salespeople. <laughs> so you have to learn very, very quickly there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay. So and, talking about learning, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've learned lots of things over your career. Can you remember mm -hmm. the first thing that you sort of learned about sales? Well, one of the great things about when I was in Slumberger, there was a lot of senior guys and a lot of mentors. There's people like Lars Weberg and Paul Helmore and people like that really mentored me when I first took that real big step into sales management. And this is the obvious one, but it still sticks with me is the, you know, the one mouth, two ears and use them in that proportion, which I'm sure everybody's going to say on this podcast. But it still holds tight. And you'd be surprised how many salespeople actually don't apply that and it's the most simple i think of um of anything i've learned during that period of time yeah and no, I, I was on a call with a colleague a couple of days ago and uh, they were they were not listening to what the customer was saying and it was so frustrating for me um, and i think it is and I, I i do suffer from that to somewhat i think if you've come from a technical background if you do have a technical background your base of work is on your technical knowledge. So you want everybody to know everything you know about a certain subject. Um, but you have to cut back on that and you have to do the listening. Yeah, you yes, can't be the yes. expert. Generally, you're talking to the experts, you know, and you need to be able to listen. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, if we go, I, I guess today we'll be talking about value sales and, and understanding the customer's problem is fundamental. Mm -hmm. Just the, that is the foundation of everything that that's built from. So you need yeah. to do that. Great. So what do you think is the most important thing that you've learned in sales? So when it comes to me, I guess it is that customer's problems. And that's the thing that excites me the most. It's understanding what a customer's problems are, what their challenges are, whether that is an organization or a 
personalities actual issues and what's keeping them up at night. I think that's really understanding that has been key. I also, just because of the nature of myself and is, is, you know, to apply process on that and strategy. So I have to take that step back, take that kind of helicopter view on the actual sales engagement and come up with the process. And, and that's something that when I became the sales manager, um, it's something that we applied together with some other people very, very rigorously. So we had a, you know, a proper consultative selling sales process in place with a strategy, with key uh, touch points in there. And, and, and really that is, is how, I, uh, how I have to work really. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. So I'm assuming that you obviously enjoy your role. You're still working in sales. What's been the best thing about working in sales for you? Well, I think again, it's meeting the personalities, meeting the challenges, you know, I had the opportunity to travel to many different cultures. I worked in the Middle East, but covered Asia, Australia, North America. I worked in uh, Europe and Africa roles, so traveled all over Africa. And one of the biggest or most exciting things is just understanding different people's personalities, their culture, how you actually approach sales with them. You know, I'm a big believer in, I think there was that IBM book that looked at the different natures of, you know, uh, different regions and things like that. And there is a very, very different uh, way of selling into Africa versus the Middle East versus the US. And and, and looking at that is, is something I've always been interested in, looking at the cultures and things I've really enjoyed and their, their buying processes. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it is crucial to understand each different country and region and how they work differently. Even in Europe, the different countries behave in different ways and it is important to uh, it was always funny we we did have a little bit of training on that i don't know whether it was by an ibm consultant but they started this kind of process in the 70s and there's some really cool books that they wrote about mm -hmm. uh, this and it's you know about power distance independence that kind of thing and, and mm. as you might expect a lot of europe is similar map south of europe is slightly different from northern europe uh, but there was a massive outlier, which was the French, who mapped completely different to anywhere else. So it is, it is, you know, it's very key, key to yeah. understanding yeah. understanding the different cultures. Okay. So what would your advice be to someone starting out in sales now? To be honest, I think, you know, it is to really get that grounding in, in, in account management or customer sales. I, I think really understanding that is is key to being a successful salespeople it's not you know tactical you know transactional sales is great and you know chasing the money is is, is great um but i think people will have a much more fulfilling uh sales um you know background or you know profession if they actually try and do things and think about customers problems and think about solving them problems you know it's it, it just uh just logically, it, it's a bit more of a challenge. Intellectually, it's more of a challenge, I think. And I, mm -hmm. I think if people do that and understand that, then that would be great foundations for their careers going forward. Yeah, great. All right. So the topic of this podcast is value selling, and in particular, promoting the value of a product rather than its features and functions. Of course, the product's priced based on many different factors and not necessarily on the value that it brings to the customer. I suspect that the value your customers get from your products at light is far greater than their cost. So do you ever discuss that with them? Yeah, well, it's it's very interesting. I think it depends on where you are as a as a as a uh, an organization on how you can do this. You know, as a startup, 
um, where you're going from one opportunity to the next is quite difficult. You know, in a, in a large organization like Slumberger or Spectrum, where I was there, where we can build them relationships and we have them relationships. I think it's, it's, it's a lot easier to do that. But having said that, we come out of a large organization in light. So we do have a direct indicator to the value that we're adding to the So it's kind of, it's a unique position for a startup to be in. Mm. So we're, we're part of BP, we work very closely with them. Mm-hmm. So we can see exactly what value they're getting out of our solutions. And it is considerable. And that enables us to apply some of that learning to some of, some of the other customers that, are, that we're, we're selling to as well. Yeah. And as we grow and as we scale, and we get to know them customers better, we won't just apply our learning from BP, we'll be able to apply directly to what they're trying to get out of it. And I think value is, it's an interesting statement as well, adding value to the customer, because we always think about the pounds and the pence, but you know, you've got human beings as well who are buying this. And I think it's really, really important to understand what their values are and applying it on the, on, you know, on the purchases kind of values as well. So the whole understanding of the people, the organization, and what value you can bring to, to, to right across the board there. Yeah. Have you ever been able to tie the price of your product to the value that it delivers? I mean, it, it's, yeah. we talk about risk reward sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Has that ever worked successfully for you? Yes, it has. Um, so in Slumbershade, there's many occasions because we're offering products and services, we were part of that whole, not just selling, but that delivery part of the solutions that we were bringing. So obviously the the share, with, it works well with smaller companies, but sharing barrels, I guess, is something that mm. Slumbershade's done before and it's something that we've done. Um, but also I work for a company called Spectrum, which is, you know, it's, it's selling uh, multi-client seismic data, which you might think is just a product, yeah? And it's very, very difficult because we didn't do much services on top of that, I guess. Um, but you can add, you can use that uh, data to, to, companies can use that to get massive value. Obviously, they can use our seismic data mm-hmm. to go into a new region where they might be successful on a discovery. And the upside on that is huge, as we all know. Mm-hmm. And and so with smaller companies, we did take that kind of risk reward approach. You know, they couldn't quite afford the seismic data up front. Mm-hmm. They pay an element of that. But we take a little bit of risk if we think if we really believed in the prospects they were going after, mm-hmm. then we would be willing to take that kind of risk reward. And that did happen. And, you know, there's elements of the North Sea where we were getting a little bit of, you know, say in 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 certain particular prospects but that that worked quite well with the smaller companies yeah okay i mean i guess it always depends on the situation and and how much how much value that there is because it's always i always think it's very difficult to uh to tie them together because sometimes it could be an enormous value that you get but if if equally it could be no value um and that's the risk that the customer takes um so yeah so some of the, you know, if you went to our website, I think it's on there. Some of the value that we're generating for BP is 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 huge in some mm-hmm. of the solutions that we were initially bringing for them. Um, and, you know, the pricing isn't quite matching that at the moment. But again, that is the challenge with a, with a mm. startup. It's finding that position. It's getting that credibility. It's building that customer base. It's understanding those particular customers and the individuals in that customer more. And then you can get to that position. But... I think it always relates to the customer's challenges uh, and that's something that I've always been excited. And I think 
you know the the new salespeople coming in to any organization that is also a key thing that you really need to get to as quickly as possible what are the key individual and corporate challenges that an organization and individual has okay brilliant ian thank you so much for your time really interesting chat much appreciated ian setterfield thank you very much no problem thanks tim have a good day take care bye Well, that was a really interesting interview. Let's expand a little bit more on benefits and value. One of the most important things for you to know are the benefits of your products to your customer. These are what provide the value. Start by making a list of all the features of your product and then define what they do for the customer. You need to make them as simple as possible. Do not assume that the customer can work these out for themselves. If you can still ask, so what, after a benefit statement, then you have not defined it well enough. For example, one of the stated benefits of apples is that they help to reduce cholesterol. However, you can still ask, so what, to that. Unless you understand that lower cholesterol is good for you, you cannot understand that this is a benefit. So the benefit statement should be that eating apples helps to reduce your cholesterol levels which means that you have a healthier heart and so are less likely to die prematurely from a heart attack. Not all benefits will necessarily be equally valuable to every customer. You need to tailor what you provide to each customer and their needs. Do as much as you can to make the benefit statement specific to that customer. The more that they resonate with them, the more likely you are to be able to be successful in your sale. Before we finish, here's a tip for you to think about. I'm amazed how many times a company has given me a quote for some work and then never followed up. Never asked if I wanted to proceed. Never asked why I didn't pick them. Always follow up on a quote. Show that you care about the customer. They may just have forgotten to get back to you. They may be waiting for another quote. If they do accept your quote, that's great. If they don't, you should ask why. Find out what it was that persuaded them to use someone else. This is very valuable information and can be used to help you do better next time. Whatever you do, don't just leave a quote hanging out there. And finally, I recently read about someone who was sacked from a supermarket for refusing to sell a bottle of wine to an elderly person because they did not have ID confirming their age. They thought that they were being funny, but obviously they were not. Humour can be great when used correctly, but terrible when used badly. Be careful with what you say.
So that's it for this month's podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed it and found it useful. My thanks to my guest Ian Setterfield for his contribution. It always amuses me how many people talk about one mouth and two ears and using them in that proportion in sales. Even now I occasionally find myself talking too much and have to stop myself. We're so keen to try and help our customer that we forget to find out the basic information before we start talking. If you'd like to learn more, there's a lot of resources on my website, hulock-consulting.com. There's sales tips, blogs and recorded webinars that you can watch whenever you want. I'm happy to have a free one-hour chat with anyone who works in sales to give them ideas that they can immediately apply to their work. As I say, there's no charge for this initial discussion. You can book this via my website, hulock-consulting.com slash booking. You can book the free introductory chat. That's all for this episode of Solving the Equation of Sales. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please subscribe for future episodes. And if you did find it useful, please tell your friends and colleagues so that they can benefit from it as well. Thanks for listening and happy selling.